Radio.com. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Hey, a way to start your day. It is Monday, the 26th of June, the feast of St. Jose Maria Escriva. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O Lord of salvation, bless your people. Grant us fresh hope at the beginning of this day, that we may live it for your glory and our neighbor's good. Relieve us of the burden of old worries and stored grievances, that we may pass through the narrow gate that leads to the kingdom. Protect us from recurring fears, that we may serve you in freedom and in peace. Heal all those who labor under the pain of depression, scrupulosity, and anxiety, that all may know the joy of your love. Lord Jesus Christ, you have brought us safely to this new day, as you have promised to bring us safely to dwell with you one day in your kingdom of light. Defend us against all that would weigh us down and slow our steps, so that we may run with delight in the way of your gospel, who live and reign with the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. St. Jose Maria, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here on a Monday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We'll also talk today to Kevin Schmeising for a look at this week in Catholic history. We'll head to Rome to talk to Father Philip LeRae about a recent event where a German church gathered to hear a sermon delivered by artificial intelligence. Oh, uh, well, I have some thoughts on that, and I bet Father Philip Loray has more. Father John Gavin will talk about St. Gregory of Nazianzus on Revelation and how that uh, thought from St. Gregory is quoted in the Catechism, and then Dr. Jared Stout at the end of the hour. So, heavy-duty stuff to start you off on a Monday. Two minutes past, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Morning. President Biden has spoken with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky as well as Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about the weekend's events in Russia. The White House said yesterday that the leaders affirmed their unwavering support for Ukraine against Russian aggression. This coming after a short-lived rebellion by a private military group against Vladimir Putin. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has said the rebellion shows real cracks within Russia over its war in Ukraine. More from Mark Mayfield. Appearing on CBS Face the Nation, Blinken said the Kremlin went from expecting an easy takeover in Ukraine 16 months ago to having to defend Moscow against the Wagner Group over the weekend. He added that the White House always prepares for every contingency related to Russia, including a possible fall of Putin's government. The Kremlin reportedly reached an agreement with Wagner to drop the charges against the group's leader in exchange for the group ending its rebellion. I'm Mark Mayfield. The sentencing phase in the Tree of Life synagogue shooting trial is set to begin today in Pittsburgh. Robert Bowers was found guilty earlier this month on all 63 charges in the 2018 mass shooting at the Squirrel Hill Synagogue that killed 11. In the first part of the sentencing phase, the jury will consider aggravating circumstances to determine if the defendant is eligible for the death penalty Those include the atrocity of the crime and the number of victims. Legal experts say it's a near certainty that the jury will find Bowers eligible, after which they will decide whether he should be sentenced to death.
His recent psychiatric evaluations are expected to figure prominently during this penalty phase. The U.S. Coast Guard is launching a formal investigation into the deadly implosion of the Titan submersible that killed all five people on board. The investigation was announced during a news conference yesterday in Boston. Captain Jason Neubauer is leading the probe, which he said is currently in the evidence collection phase. Neubauer added that the MBI investigation that's being conducted is the highest level of U.S. Coast Guard investigations. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis reflected on the Sunday gospel of Jesus telling his disciples to not be afraid, saying that despite the cost, sacrifice, or fear involved, Jesus invites us to stay faithful to what counts. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports. The Pope observed, It seems paradoxical that the proclamation of the kingdom of God is a message of peace and justice, and yet it encounters opposition, violence, and persecution. Jesus says to not be afraid regardless, pointing out that he does so not because all will be well in the world, but because for the Father we are precious and nothing that is good will be lost. Jesus, the Pope said, says to be fearful instead of one thing, namely throwing one's life away. Way, wasting one's existence, chasing after trivial things which will not fill life with meaning. The Pope said this warning is relevant to each of us. To illustrate his point, the Pope thought of parents who need to work to support their family, but who cannot live to work alone. They need, he said, time to be with their children. He then turned to priests and nuns. They, he said, must be committed to their service, but without forgetting to dedicate time to being with Jesus. Otherwise, he noted, they'll fall into spiritual worldliness and lose the sense of who they are. Lastly, the Pope thought of young men and women who have a thousand commitments and passions, school, sports, various interests, mobile phones, and social networks, but they need to meet people and realize big dreams without wasting time on things that pass and do not leave their mark. All this, Pope Francis admitted, entails some renunciation in the face of idols of efficiency and consumerism, but it is necessary in order to not get lost in things which are then thrown away. To remain faithful to what counts, the Pope said, has a cost. It costs going against the tide, freeing oneself from the conditioning of common thinking and being pushed aside by those who follow the wave. But this, the Pope said, does not matter, Jesus reminds us. What matters, he notes, is to not throw away the greatest good of our lives for that which does not have real value. Therefore, the Pope encourages, let's ask ourselves, what are we afraid of? I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Pope Francis offered prayers yesterday for the family of a Vatican schoolgirl who's been missing now for 40 years. 15-year-old Emanuela Orlandi has not been seen since June 22, 1983, when she failed to return home from a music lesson. The Holy Father said he wanted to express, quote, once again, my closeness to her family, especially her mother, assuring my prayers, end quote. The case of the missing girl is one of Italy's most enduring mysteries. Both the Vatican and Italian investigators have reopened investigations this year with possible new leads. The extreme heat that's been broiling Texas for more than a week is going to spread beyond the Lone Star State this week. Heat advisories are out early for much of Texas, eastern Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, western Mississippi, and Western Tennessee today. And the 2023 Men's College World Series champion will be crowned tonight. The second-seeded Florida Gators crushed fifth-seeded LSU 24-4 to 
in Game 2 of the College World Series Championship. And LSU and Florida will meet at Charles Schwab Field in Omaha tonight for the decisive Game 3. Wow. 24 to 4. 24 to 4. That's a little bit intense. That's I would I would normally say that could be a football score, but four points is not really. No, it would not be a Florida LSU like... <laughs> football score. That's for sure. That's true. That's true. Wow. Now, I thought that. I mean, I feel like the Angels hung thirteen on somebody this weekend. But uh, that's a twenty-four. That's, that's a lot of runs. That's a lot of baseball runs. It was a record for a single game. That sounds about right. Well, in any event, I would. Uh, I'm not going to pick a side in this Florida LSU. Well, I mean, you as a Tennessee fan, I can't First imagine. First of all, I'm a Tennessee fan. It would be something sore. that you could do. Second of all, we got lots of Louisiana and Florida listeners, and I just don't want to. Yeah, let's just not pick sides. Let's not pick a side here. Yeah, for real. Well, today is Monday, June the 26th, and we are very happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's nine past. It's time for our weekly look at This Week in Catholic History. Our Catholic historian, Kevin Schmiesing, author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, here again with us. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Anna. Well, we were joking before the segment. This is Controversy Week in This Week in Catholic History. Let's start in 1988. In fact, both of our dates from 1988 and the death of a former Nazi radio host. Yeah, right. The bo- both events are 1988, but they're very far removed topically, except, as you know, I guess they both do involve controversial figures. So the first one is a Catholic convert, actually. Her name is Mildred Gillers. To set the context, during World War II, one dimension of the conflict was the propaganda war between the Allies and the Axis powers. Uh, the Allies liked to give the Axis propagandist nicknames, so probably most famously, are a couple of them, Tokyo Rose, applied to various Japanese radio broadcasters, and also Lord Haha, an Englishman who read propaganda for Nazi Germany. But there was one other, which was Axis Sally. That nickname applied to two American propagandists working for Germany, one of whom was our convert, Mildred Gillers. Gillers was born in Maine in 1900. She lived in Ohio for a while, then New York City, and then moved to Germany in 1934, where she taught English and was hired as an announcer for German state radio in 1940. She was engaged to a German citizen and so chose to remain in Germany. After war was declared with the U.S. in 1941, she became involved in propaganda broadcasts directed at American troops in Europe, trying to demoralize them by exaggerating Allied losses and fomenting anti-Semitism, among other tactics. After American forces took Berlin in the spring of 1945, Gillers was arrested as an American traitor. She was tried in 1949 and became the first American woman convicted of treason. She was sentenced to 30 years, sent to a federal prison in West Virginia, released on parole in 1961. Now, during her imprisonment, she was ministered to by a Catholic prison chaplain, Father Thomas Kerrigan. She was formally received into the church while she was in prison in 1960. She claimed later to have started considering Catholicism as early as 1944. It's even possible that she was a baptized Catholic, which would make her a revert rather than convert. But in any case, as part of her application for parole, she needed to demonstrate that she had a place to live and a job. That wasn't easy for an imprisoned treason convict. But Father Kerrigan knew the Sisters of the Poor Child Jesus, the PCJs, who had been founded in West Virginia. 
They gave Mildred a home at their convent in Columbus, Ohio, and a job teaching German, English, and French at their school there. That's where Mildred remained for the rest of her life. Mildred Gillers, a.k.a. Axis Sally, died this week, June 25th, 1988. In full communion with the church. It would appear, yes. Wow. Wow. What a story that no one is beyond the mercy of God. Now, as we said, 1988 is the year we're focusing on this time around in This Week in Catholic History. And uh, another controversial figure Um, Archbishop Lefebvre and uh, the ordination, the illicit ordination of bishops. Exactly. That's 35 years ago now, but it's an event that remains highly relevant because we continue to debate the merits of Catholic traditionalism and specifically the status of the Society of St. Pius X. Marcel Lefebvre was a French priest. He was ordained in 1929. He joined the Spiritans, or Holy Ghost Fathers, a couple of years later. The Spiritans were active in Africa, and Lefebvre served as professor and then rector of the Spiritan Seminary in Gabon in West Africa. In 1947, he became a bishop as the Vicar Apostolic of Dakar in Senegal, and then its archbishop in 1955. He was transferred back to France to be the bishop of the Diocese of Toul in 1962, and that same year became Superior General of the Holy Ghost Order. As such, he participated in the Second Vatican Council. After the council, he established a seminary in Switzerland for more traditionalist-oriented seminarians, and in 1970 formed the Priestly Society of St. Pius X. So far, everything had been done with permission from the relevant church authorities. But from there, it's a long, complicated story of increasing tension, then outright conflict, uh, first with the French hierarchy, then with the Vatican. There were questions about to what extent Lefebvre and the SSPX accepted the teaching of Vatican II and the authority of the current Pope. Uh, Primarily, we're talking about Paul VI and then John Paul II. The situation came to a climax during the pontificate of John Paul when negotiations between Cardinal Ratzinger and Archbishop Lefebvre broke down. And on June 30th, this week in 1988, Lefebvre ordained four SSPX priests as bishops without the consent of the Vatican, which is normally required. The following day, the Congregation for Bishops issued a decree stating that the ordination was a schismatic act and that those involved had thereby been excommunicated. A few days later, a group of SSPX priests and seminarians left the society and formed the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, which is in full union with Rome, yet offers the traditional Latin Mass, or the extraordinary form, or whatever we're calling it these days. Lefebvre died in 1991, but his legacy lives on in the SSPX, the FSSP, and the ongoing debate over Vatican II and the Latin Mass. This week, 1988. The story continues. We've been talking to Kevin Schmeezing, and you can find his Catholic History Trek podcast and his book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks for uh, helping us wade through the controversy today, Kevin. My pleasure. Thanks, Anna. You bet. Always happy to have you. All right, let's take a look at weather across the nation. Rain showers and thunderstorms will be soaking areas along and east of the Mississippi River today. Strong to severe thunderstorms will be likely from the southeast through the mid-Atlantic and into New England. Main concern will be destructive winds, but large hail and an isolated tornado cannot be ruled out. Heavy downpours will also be possible along much of the east coast. There will be chances for showers and thunderstorms across the northwest, the Great Basin, the northern Rockies, and the northern high plains as well. High pressure will build over the Four Corners region, leading to hot and dry weather. 
Mainly dry weather will be found across the rest of the plains and the Front Range as well. Headlines coming up next. It's 16 past here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption. Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If your cable or satellite provider doesn't carry EWTN's full programming lineup, give them a call. Let them know you would like to receive EWTN 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. For more information, go to EWTN.com and click on Television. 18 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. President Biden has spoken with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in the wake of a short-lived rebellion against Russian President Vladimir Putin. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis reflected on the Sunday gospel of telling the chief of Jesus, telling the disciples to not be afraid. And the Holy Father offered prayers yesterday for the family of a Vatican schoolgirl who's now been missing for 40 years. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, we have uh, several dozen unofficial patron saints of the Sunrise Morning Show, but mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle of the pack there. It's got to be St. Jose Maria mm-hmm. Escriva. Uh, if for no other reason that it is he who coined the, the phrase heroic, heroic minute, uh, which is, if you don't know what the heroic minute is, so St. Jose Maria talks about how the heroic minute is when your alarm goes off and without a second thought, without hitting the snooze bar, without rolling over, without letting it ring for, you know, a minute and a half, you just get up. You just get up. And his thought on it is that by doing so, you've won the first battle of the day. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of things may go wrong as the day continues, but the heroic minute is you just just handle it, right? Your Mm -hmm. first task of the day, just handle it. And then maybe you're a little bit better prepped for the rest of the day. I should probably pray through his intercession more often. You probably should. You probably should. You want more uh, good wisdom, practical wisdom? From St. Jose Maria, there's just Please. so much. If you've read his you know, book, The Way, or any of his other stuff, 
a lot of it is very, very practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one that I use on my son all the time. Oh, and good. maybe you should use it on your children, Anna Mitchell. Okay. When he says, you're bored, that's because you keep your senses awake and your soul asleep. Ooh, yeah. I'm always like, the more TV you watch, the more video games you play, the more likely you are to be bored. Oh, my gosh. I know, right? It's true. So there you, you got go. any more? Oh, um, sure. We got enough uh, for, like, one more. Okay, let's see. Uh... How about if you have so many defects, why are you surprised to find defects in others? That's a pretty good one. I got more. I got a list of like 30 of these. I'm going to bust some out next hour too. Oh, okay, good. Cool. There's plenty of time. I'm sure Dr. Matthew Bunsen, who joins us next hour to talk about St. Jose Maria, will have many more. Mm-hmm. It's 21 minutes past the hour. St. Jose Maria. Pray for Pray us. For us. is the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com, and when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Don Trannell of the Glen Mary Home Missioners. Please join me in praying a Glenmary Community Mission Prayer. O loving Father, may your spirit guide our missionary service. Like Jesus, may we proclaim the reign of God is at hand. Like Peter, may we fall on our knees at the sight of your great catch. Like Paul, may we strive to share the gospel with all people. Like Isaac Jobs and companions, may we willingly sacrifice our lives in service to the people of rural America. O creator of all, give us the courage to leave the 99 and go after the lost one. Grant us the joy to rejoice over the found one. Compel us to care for the victims we find along the road. Move us to embrace the prodigals returning home. We ask this through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. Thanks for uh, being along with us on this feast of St. Jose Maria Escrivá. Pray for us. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Philip Loray, and he is with Humanity 2.0 and has all kinds of thoughts and projects related to how we are supposed to manage this question of artificial intelligence in the modern world, maybe bring a little Catholic perspective to the mix. Father, good morning show hey glad to have you and you know i wanted to talk to somebody about this i feel like you're the perfect person to to discuss this with about the uh, group of germans who gathered to hear a homily delivered uh by ai i think they even had an avatar delivering it and everything 
Uh, when you heard that this was happening, I wonder, because you were a priest who has to deliver actual homilies, um, you know, tapping into that, but also as a philosopher, how did you, I mean, what was your reaction to that? Well, as you know, a hidden secret is that many priests are using GPT to prepare their homilies. So uh, we just don't say that. And I think what the uh, interesting thing about the German experiment it, it was that it, uh, the pastor was actually going to let the GPT give the homily uh, through an avatar. Now, it, it, it also has to be remembered that the pastor helped the software prepare the sermon, which is exactly what Sam Altman designed it to do. The GPT gets better the more you interact with it. So it wasn't exclusively the work of an AI, but it was in communion with the pastor. And the pastor also organized the entire event uh, with the GPT. So the whole service, it wasn't just a sermon. Okay, so I think there were there were if you read the article, there were two basic reactions. One was excitement, you know, because we're using AI for good. And, and I agree with that. Uh, there's a lot of hype around AI and especially GPT and the possibility of it being used uh, for bad, for evil. So I think it's it is consoling to to find that we can actually use this for good and to make people feel better about themselves and their religious experience, etc. The second uh, reaction, I think, was disappointment. And that was because it's an AI. It's not a person. So there's there's really no interaction going on. It's it's just people listening to what the AI has to say and uh, the article makes the point that it made people laugh at a certain point, but there was there was no feeling coming from the AI. It just continued, you know, spurting out what it what it had programmed to say, and 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 I think that you know people want a personal experience when they attend a religious service. Uh, remember, during the pandemic, the many Catholics asked if they could go to confession through Zoom. And it reached all the way to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Cardinal Ladadia said, no, if you, uh, you if, to go to confession, it has to be in person. You, you have to be uh, with the priest and, and you, uh, you know, maybe behind a curtain or in a confessional, but it has to be a personal experience. And the rationale behind that is because a confession involves the entire person. It's not just audio or video. It's the person who is seeking reconciliation and receives reconciliation from the priest in person. So I, I thought that was an interesting case, an interesting precedent that probably it's going to be more important as uh, we see AI become more and more a part of our lives. Well, absolutely, for sure. And I should point out that this was a Lutheran uh, congregation so that nobody thinks that uh, this is you know, something that happened in a Catholic mass. Uh, but you know, there there are so many different interesting angles to this. Uh, one of them, the the scholar who helped put together the uh, the Chat GPT form and and you know sort of plugged the data into it, says that he uh, he he conceived the service. He did not execute it, but he accompanied it. And it's uh, the idea of accompaniment, how we use it uh, in a Catholic context, is very different than the idea of accompanying a chatbot as it puts out data. But the other thing I was thinking about is. We've been having a fill-in priest at our parish, uh, Father Philip, and okay. uh, he's just moved on, and he was a missionary. And yesterday, his homily, he talked about how, uh, as in his missionary life, he'd been kidnapped, he'd had to eat monkey, he told us what monkey tasted like, 
He told us uh, no. you know, about the times that he's uh, faced down gangs, the times that he's done all these other things, and how he's been you know, experiencing the faithfulness of God and all of this. And we all have difficult things that we're going to go through. You know, we may not have to eat monkey, right? But we're <laughs> going to have to face some crazy things. And I'm thinking, no robot could preach this. I mean, no robot could ever preach no. that. No, you can't, you can't substitute the priest or the pastor or the homilist. Uh, we, we can look for instruments that help us, but there is no substitution. And I think it's, it's, great, it's a great point. Um, let me throw this out to you, though. That what, it, There's a, a point in the article where it says AI can help us to uh, not waste a lot of time. It can help us uh, to do things so that the priest is free for the sacraments or for spiritual guidance. I think they mentioned that. And I thought that was a great idea. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have like a, a frequently asked question AI so, you know, you have a person who just moved. So, oh, I'm, I, I'd like to join this parish. I don't know what to do. You know, it's always good to have that personal touch. And, you know, but I think a lot of a lot of things could probably be lifted from the people working in the parish by using an AI. Um, again, as long we, we don't we want to make sure that we greet people and that there's the human touch and everything we do. That's vitally important. Uh, I, I think that a lot of things could be done by an AI, and I would welcome that. Well, and there are things that we're already doing that are sort of in that direction, like getting forms, uh, you know, taken care of, or, or you know, so you want to plug into this ministry. Well, here are questions right. you might want to ask yourself if you want to be involved in this. I mean, there's there's that, but again, the sacrament, you know, form proper matter, and you know, when the priest has got a story about eating monkeys, that helps too. Father Philip Ray, we've got Humanity 2.0 in your website, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Matt. Great to be on the show again. Bye-bye. All right. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. President Biden has spoken with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, as well as Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, about the attempted insurrection in Russia this weekend. Trey Thomas has more. The White House said Sunday that the leaders affirmed their unwavering support for Ukraine against Russian aggression. This comes after a short-lived rebellion by the Wagner Group, a private Russian military organization led by Yevgeny Prigozhin. The Kremlin reportedly reached an agreement with Wagner to drop the charges against Prigozhin in exchange for the group ending its insurrection. I'm Trey Thomas. The penalty phase in the Pittsburgh synagogue shooter trial is set to begin today. Earlier this month, a jury found Robert Bowers guilty on all counts in the 2018 mass shooting at the Tree of Life synagogue that killed 11 people. In the first part of the sentencing phase, the jury will consider aggravating circumstances to determine whether Bowers is eligible for the death penalty, and legal experts believe it's a near certainty that they will find the defendant to be eligible after which then the jury will decide whether he should be sentenced to death. Stay faithful to what counts. That was the message from Pope Francis during his Angelus address yesterday. He added that according to the gospel, Jesus tells his disciples three times, do not be afraid. The Holy Father told the crowd in St. Peter's Square that Jesus is the only thing, Jesus says the only thing to be fearful of, is throwing one's life away. 
Also, in his Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father offered prayers for the victims of a prison riot in Honduras. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. La Vergine di Sujapa, Madre dell'Honduras, aiuti i cuori ad aprirsi alla riconciliazione e a fare spazio a una convivenza fraterna anche all'interno dei carceri. Pope Francis invoked Our Lady of Suyapa, the patroness of Honduras, praying that she might help hearts to open themselves to reconciliation and to make room for fraternal coexistence, even within prisons. The Pope made the prayer as he expressed his sorrow over a deadly prison attack that left more than 40 women dead in a female correctional facility in Tamara in Honduras on June 20th. A preliminary investigation into the riot found severe security breakdowns that allowed gang members in the prison to attack their rivals with guns and machetes and even burn some of them alive in their cells. Mi ha molto addolorato quanto è accaduto alcuni giorni fa I was very saddened by what happened a few days ago in the Tamara Women's Penitentiary Center in Honduras, the Pope said, deploring the terrible violence between rival gangs that sowed death and suffering. He also offered his prayers for those who died and for their families. Prego per le defunte, prego per i familiari. I'm Christopher Wells. At least three people are dead and others are injured after a shooting in Kansas City. The gunfire erupted yesterday morning in a parking lot, leaving eight people shot. Three victims were found dead at the scene and five others were hospitalized with what are believed to be non-threatening injuries. The extreme heat that's been broiling Texas for more than a week is going to spread beyond the Lone Star State this week. Heat advisories were out early yesterday morning for much of Texas, eastern Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, western Mississippi, and western Tennessee. Over the next few days, high heat will push into parts of the Plains, Mississippi Valley, and the southeast, as well as a big stretch from southern New Mexico, Arizona, and parts of southeastern California. Forecasters say temperatures will be 5 to 15 degrees hotter than average. The U.S. Coast Guard is launching a formal investigation into the deadly implosion of the Titan. Mark Mayfield has more. The investigation was announced during a news conference Sunday in Boston. Captain Jason Neubauer is leading the probe, which he said is currently in the evidence collection phase. Neubauer added that the MBI investigation that's being conducted is the highest level of U.S. Coast Guard investigations. I'm Mark Mayfield. And millions of Muslims are in Saudi Arabia now for the biggest Hajj pilgrimage to Mecca in years. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about 
and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. We must set our hearts firmly in God and never withdraw them, because God alone is our peace, our consolation, and our glory. What can we expect if we do not unite ourselves to our dear Savior? We are indeed fortunate to be able to graft our hearts onto that of the Savior. He is united to the divinity, the sacred root of the tree of which we are the branches. Yes, dear Jesus, do with my heart according to your own pleasure. I do not want to have any further rights over it. I donate, consecrate, and sacrifice it forever to you. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Monday morning. Father John Gavin back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's author of Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer. Good morning, Father. Good morning. So we are unpacking today a quote in the Catechism from St. Gregory of Nazianzus. And we've, we've just started the part of the Catechism on, on the Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So this is paragraph 684. It says, Through his grace, the Holy Spirit is the first to awaken faith in us and to communicate to us the new life which is to know the Father and the one whom he has sent, Jesus Christ. But the Spirit is the last of the persons of the Holy Trinity to be revealed. St. Gregory of Nazianzus, the theologian, explains this progression in terms of pedagogy of divine condescension. And here's the quote. The Old Testament proclaimed the Father clearly, but the Son more obscurely. The New Testament revealed the Son and gave us a glimpse of the divinity of the Spirit. Now the Spirit dwells among us and grants us a clearer vision of himself. It was not prudent when the divinity of the Father had not yet been confessed to proclaim the Son openly, and when the divinity of the Son was not yet admitted to add the Holy Spirit as an extra burden to, to speak somewhat daringly. By advancing and progressing from glory to glory, the light of the Trinity will shine in ever more brilliant rays. Okay, lots to unpack here. But first, first of all, where does this quote come from? So this quote, as you said, it comes from one of the greatest theologians. Uh, some call him the theologian uh, mm-hmm. in the East, St. Gregory of Nazianzus, who was... Uh, theologian bishop uh, order in the 4th century, and this comes from one of his uh, theological orations. The the debates during the 4th century, if we put it into context, were surrounding the, the Trinity, in particular the divinity of the Son, and then later the divinity of the Holy Spirit. 
And so he did a series of uh, talks on the eve of the Council of Constantinople in 381, which affirmed, of course, the divinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. And in one, in this particular one, he is speaking about the divinity of the Spirit. Because some uh, in this time, a uh, group called the Pneumatikoi, uh, the wow. Spirit Fighters, uh, they uh, denied the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things they brought up was, if the Holy Spirit is divine, why are we only finding out about this late in the game, right? Mm. Uh, because we don't find any strict expression or teaching about uh, the Son or the Spirit in the Old Testament, uh, and then we, you know it seems to come much later. So what's going on here? So that's the context of this particular talk that he was giving and uh, why he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay, I have to ask first about this part about the Holy Spirit being an extra burden uh, to speak somewhat daringly. What does he mean by that? Well, uh, if we look here, the, 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 the question is, of course, you know, he says, he points out here that God actually comes to, to teach us uh, in history, right? Mm. Uh, to, to form us in history. And so uh, he even uses this word, uh, divine condescension, uh, which doesn't mean God's looking down on us, like, you know, or something, uh, you know, below him, and that's, you know, like someone at a cocktail party. But rather, God comes down to be with us. And so there's a kind of formation taking place. And And the Spirit, therefore, not a burden, but a gift, that comes to be revealed to us in history as God teaches us and forms us in the faith. Wow. So this divine pedagogy, why mm. why this progression of, of revelation then, and why is the Holy Spirit revealed last of the three? Yes, this, I mean, this is really—it's a theme that uh, Gregory and other fathers use, and, of course, he looks— he, summarizes it beautifully here. I mean, in the Old Testament, we see uh, how the Father begins to teach us and form us uh, in revealing His love and His authority as Creator, and as one who calls the chosen people, begins to form them for the coming of Christ. Then we have the revelation of the Son, right, of course, in the Incarnation, but also in what the Son does for us, in redemption and the gift of divine adoption, uh, entering into the very life of the Trinity uh, through baptism. And then finally we come to the revelation of the Spirit. Of course, it is the Son who reveals the Spirit to us, but at the same time we also see the Spirit revealed to us in the life of the Church, in the sanctification and the union that is formed in the Church, with the sending of the Spirit. We uh, just recently, of course, during the Easter season, uh, were hearing readings from the Acts of the Apostles, and you hear again and again how the, the Spirit is moving and guiding and shaping the coming, uh, the, uh, the emergence of the Church. And so the Spirit comes last because this is the culmination of this divine teaching or pedagogy. Uh, the formation of the Church... Uh, in the body of Christ. Yeah, and he, he says in here, the Old Testament proclaimed the Father clearly, but the Son more 
obscurely. I'm wondering if you can give us an an example to kind of understand better what he means by that, because it wouldn't. And also, mm-hmm. I should add, um, I mean, he doesn't say it here explicitly, but I mean, the Old Testament um, gives us glimpses of the Holy Spirit as well, does it not? Indeed. It does. It does. But what's interesting, I think, what uh, what they would say is that we, after the coming of Christ, we are able to read the Old Testament differently. Mm, yeah. Because what they say is the Son is, in fact, you could kind of say, the key to unlocking uh, the full meaning of the Old Testament. So things that were present there, certainly, for instance, we hear in Genesis about the Spirit moving upon the waters, right? Uh, We also have the promises of the Messiah and redemption, right, pointing to the Son. It's all there, uh, but the fullness of it is not uh, really—we can't really see all of it until Christ explains the Scriptures to us in his life and in his teachings— as he does to the disciples on the way to Emmaus. He tells them what the scriptures mean. And so you're absolutely right. All of it's there, but we need Jesus to unlock it for us. Hmm. Can you talk about how um, St. Gregory talks about the prudence here, about about this progression of revelation? Sure. Uh, if we look at, at history, of course, after uh, the the tragedy, the devastation of original sin, uh, we are scattered, our minds are clouded, right? Uh, we see the horrible effects of sin. And so the formation, like you know, the fathers will often look at history as a child growing up, right? Uh, God is gently moving us. Pedagogy means leading a child. <laughs> hmm. And so what God is doing is leading us, helping us to mature and to grow, uh, and that fullness of the faith comes with the Spirit. You could say that's our maturity, is that reception of the Spirit in Christ. Yeah, I guess Jesus says that explicitly, doesn't he, that uh, that you're not ready yet. Right, right. Uh, we, uh, we need the Spirit, as it says at the beginning of this section here in the Catechism, uh, to really see and to know fully what he is offering us, and even see the fullness of the Scriptures. Mm. Uh, it's all gift. It is. It's all gift. What an interesting interesting quote from St. Gregory of Nazianzus. So glad to have you with us to unpack it for us, Father John Gavin. You can find his book, Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you. Thank you for having me. God bless. You too, Father. Thanks. All right. It is 14 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with Dr. Jared Stout right after this. For more than 150 years, the Komboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founder, St. Daniel Komboni, as an inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at kombonimissionaries.org. That is kombonimissionaries.org. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. 
Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Why do we need to pray? We don't pray because God needs our prayers. We pray because we need God's grace. And every day... When I face the day, I realize I have no idea what I'm doing, (laughs) and I need God to walk me through my day, step by step, giving me the grace, the counsel, the love, the encouragement that enables me to glorify Him in everything that I do and become the person He wants me to be. Prayer is my lifeline. Hi, this is Johnette Williams. We bring you the truth of the Catholic faith on Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Grab that cup of coffee and let's go back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Dr. Jared Stout. We have been going through his book, How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization. Dr. Stout, welcome back. Good morning. So we've spent a number of weeks now looking at how God feeds his people through salvation history and how it's all connected to the Eucharist. And today we find ourselves at the table of the Last Supper. And, of course, this is when the Eucharist is no longer prefigured but actually instituted by Jesus. What is the significance of this taking place during a meal, and not just any meal, but the Passover meal? Well, I think, first of all, we could just talk about the significance of a meal, right? That a meal is something that brings people together in communion, right? And so that's what Jesus ultimately intends um, by giving his own flesh for us to eat and his blood for us to drink. He wants to be in communion with us. But the Passover meal in particular harkens back to the um, exodus from Egypt, And so it tells us that that is what Jesus really wanted to do. If you think of the Passover meal, right, the angel of death passes over the house of the Israelites when they put the lamb's blood, right, the the, the Passover lamb's blood over the door and down the sides of the door, then their firstborn son would be spared of the plague of the angel of death. And so Jesus is doing something similar, right, that when we eat this meal with his own flesh, that he himself becomes that Passover lamb, and his blood um, saves us from the angel of death, right? Not in a particular plague, but from death itself. Mm. Jesus didn't keep all of the elements of the Passover in the exact way they're they're prescribed, right? Can you talk about that a little bit more? One of the, the biggest things that we see is that there's no mention of the Passover lamb. So if you say, well, he celebrated a Passover, I mean, we don't know that the, the full you know, Jewish Passover meal was observed in all of its details because Jesus was instituting something new, and he himself ultimately was the Passover lamb rather than 
you know, an animal, right? He is the one who uh, we will consume, right? Because in the Passover meal, if you did not eat the flesh of the lamb, you could not have said to actually have participated in the Passover. Hmm. And it's the same with this meal. So that's the biggest change. But of course, we also see that in taking up, you know, the unleavened bread and the wine, which were part of the Passover meal, by blessing them in a particular way and uniting them to the offering of his flesh and blood, the sacrifice that he would make of himself on the cross the next day, he's also giving uh, a much deeper significance to the meal. So I would say the substitution of himself for the Passover lamb, and then, of course, the enacting of a new covenant um, by the blessing of the bread and wine as they become his own flesh and blood are the two biggest changes that he brings to the Passover meal. And how do we know that Jesus didn't want this to be a, a one-and-done ceremony with the apostles, but actually wanted it to endure? Well, there's a, a couple of ways they can see that. The most, the, the most obvious one is simply that he said, do this in memory of me. Right? And so we also look at the Last Supper as the institution of the priesthood, uh, that Jesus is here having this meal with the Twelve, and he institutes them to be priests, to continue to do this in his memory. Um, and there's a very rich understanding of memory here, N- not that it's just a remembering back to the past, but memory, including for St. Augustine and his writings, it entails present. So to do this in the memory of Jesus is to enter into his presence through this memory. The other way, though, that we can see that this was meant to continue is that Jesus himself broke bread with the community of disciples after the resurrection. And Emmaus, of course, is, is a big example of that. We also see in Acts of the Apostles, it says that he ate and drank with his disciples during the 40 days before his ascension, which I think uh, pretty clearly implies the Eucharist, right? He's showing them that this is now the way that they can enter into his presence after his resurrection. Can you talk about the insights that we glean on all, in all of this um, from the Gospel of John? Well, what's fascinating about John's account, and it's pretty accepted that he wrote after the Synoptic Gospels, the other three, he doesn't have the words of institution, this is my body, this is my blood. He takes that for granted. Uh, What does he have instead? Well, at the beginning, he has the foot washing, that Jesus is showing that he's emptying himself out and making himself a slave to us, even though he's the master, right? So he's pouring himself out for us. Once the meal's ended, We have these beautiful chapters, um, 14 through 17 in John's Gospel, which talk about abiding in Jesus, being branches of the vine, about abiding in his love so that he and the Father could make their home in us, um, that we would have the unity that he has with the Father, that we would have that with him and with one another. It's really a long exposition of the meaning of communion with Jesus. And it's not necessarily explicitly saying, when you receive the Eucharist, you're going to have this. But he just celebrated the Eucharist, and then from that first Eucharist, he goes into this very deep explanation of how we abide in him. Uh, And it's very clear that it's through the keeping of the commandments, of loving like he loved, of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that we can be... Uh, these branches of the true vine, and that we can bear fruit. Um, and, and I think it's clear that we bear fruit when we um, enter into communion with Jesus and we give ourselves as a gift as he did.
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the timing that that Jesus has with all this should not be lost on us either. I mean, this is ushering in his passion and death and, and resurrection. Yeah, absolutely. This is, he called it even his Passover, right? Yeah. So we experience the Passover as a liberation from sin, but his great Passover, of course, is this passing over into this new life, which he initiates. His death and resurrection are actually the beginning of a whole new state for humanity that he initiates. His resurrected life um, is really a, a, a moving into a whole new and elevated um, state of human life. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jared Stout. The book is called How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization, and it's from Tan Books. And you can find it linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. Click on the show notes for today. And that's where you can find links to all of our guests. Click on Dr. Stout's picture and you can get the link to his book. And um, yeah, like I said, that's where you can find all of our guests. That's where you can find our podcast as well when we go off the air. We are a three-hour program. You hear the first two hours here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, the third hour's local one. And then when that's all said and done, we package it up and put it right there on the show notes page every single day. So be sure to click the subscribe button on the side of the page. You can get all that info in your inbox as we go on the air. Got another hour up next for most of our affiliates. Radio.com. It's a new day. Hear his word. Let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Can't wait to start your day. It is Monday, the 26th of June, the feast of St. Jose Maria Escrivá. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is a prayer by St. Jose Maria. My Lord and my God, into your hands I abandon the past and the present and the future. What is small and what is great, what amounts to a little and what amounts to a lot, things temporal and things eternal, I turn over to you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Jose Maria Escriva, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We'll have lots more to say about this very, very practical saint. Coming up. This hour, I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. It'll be Dr. Matthew Bunsen at the plate to talk more about St. Jose Maria this morning. Uh, we will also chat with Brendan Hodge from The Pillar to talk more about gender and education and polling and uh, what people think about how all that's going. Father Boniface Hicks is going to be along. More thoughts on personal prayer. And actually, uh, he's got a new book on consecration to Jesus through Mary that we'll discuss. So... Uh, be looking forward to that. Then Stephanie Mann with more on the English martyrs. So please do stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Go 
Good morning. President Biden has spoken with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about the weekend's events in Russia. The White House said yesterday leaders affirmed their unwavering support for Ukraine against Russian aggression. This coming after a short-lived rebellion against Russian President Vladimir Putin. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has said this rebellion by a private military group shows real cracks within Russia over the war in Ukraine. More from Mark Mayfield. Appearing on CBS Face the Nation, Blinken said the Kremlin went from expecting an easy takeover in Ukraine 16 months ago to having to defend Moscow against the Wagner Group over the weekend. He added that the White House always prepares for every contingency related to Russia, including a possible fall of Putin's government. The Kremlin reportedly reached an agreement with Wagner to drop the charges against the group's leader in exchange for the group ending its rebellion. I'm Mark Mayfield. The penalty phase in the Pittsburgh synagogue shooter trial is set to begin today. Earlier this month, a jury found Robert Bowers guilty on all counts in the 2018 mass shooting at Tree of Life Synagogue, which killed 11 people. In the first part of the sentencing phase, the jury will consider aggravating circumstances to determine if Bowers is eligible for the death penalty. Aggravating circumstances include atrocity of the crime and the number of victims. Legal experts believe it's a near certainty the jury will find him to be eligible, after which the jury will then decide whether he should be sentenced to death. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis reflected on the Sunday gospel of Jesus telling his disciples not to be afraid. The Holy Father said, despite the cost, sacrifice, or fear involved, Jesus invites you to stay faithful to what counts. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. The Pope observed, it seems paradoxical that the proclamation of the kingdom of God is a message of peace and justice, and yet it encounters opposition, violence, and persecution. Jesus says to not be afraid regardless, pointing out that he does so not because all will be well in the world, but because for the Father we are precious and nothing that is good will be lost. Jesus, the Pope said, says to be fearful instead of one thing, namely throwing one's life away, wasting one's existence, chasing after trivial things which will not fill life with meaning. The Pope said this warning is relevant to each of us. To illustrate his point, the Pope thought of parents who need to work to support their family, but who cannot live to work alone. They need, he said, time to be with their children. He then turned to priests and nuns. They, he said, must be committed to their service, but without forgetting to dedicate time to being with Jesus. Otherwise, he noted, they'll fall into spiritual worldliness and lose the sense of who they are. Lastly, the Pope thought of young men and women who have a thousand commitments and passions, school, sports, various interests, mobile phones, and social networks, but they need to meet people and realize big dreams without wasting time on things that pass and do not leave their mark. All this, Pope Francis admitted, entails some renunciation in the face of idols of efficiency and consumerism, but it is necessary in order to not get lost in things which are then thrown away. To remain faithful to what counts, the Pope said has a cost. It costs going against the tide, freeing oneself from the conditioning of common thinking and being pushed aside by those who follow the wave. But this, the Pope said, does not matter, Jesus reminds us. What matters, he notes, is to not throw away the greatest good of our lives for that which does not have real value. Therefore, the Pope encourages, let's ask ourselves, what are we afraid of? 
I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Also, during his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis offered prayers for the victims of a prison riot in Honduras and for the family of a Vatican schoolgirl who's been missing for 40 years now. 15-year-old Emanuela Orlandi hasn't been seen since June 22, 1983, when she failed to return home from a music lesson in Rome. The Holy Father said he wanted to express once again his closeness to her family and especially her mother, assuring them of his prayers. The case of the missing girl is one of Italy's most enduring mysteries. Both the Vatican and Italian investigators have reopened investigations this year with possible new leads. And a new study shows that dark, dusky gray interiors can add $2,500 to the value price of homes. Zillow surveyed more than 4,000 prospective homebuyers across the U.S. and asked them about their color preferences. Charcoal gray scored the highest in the study because buyers are embracing moody and dramatic tones. Zillow also said a white kitchen can lower a home sale price by more than $600. Wow. I have to say I'm more of a light gray person when it comes to walls. Uh, Matt, you were just here one week ago. Right. Here in the studios, and you'll notice that most of the walls are gray. Um, I I don't know if they went with that because of my suggestion, but that's what I I requested. Generally, your, your whole family's vibe is earth tones. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, just generally speaking, it's true. but I, you know, I prefer the white because it makes you know things brighter and uh, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Now, here I know the immediate objection like is white. handprints on the wall. Mm, yeah, you can just paint over that. Yeah, or wash them. And with the kitchen, I mean, you got splatter and and, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But uh, yeah, I like white I kitchens. Know. I'm kind of surprised. I do to look see at the that. Zillow sometimes, and I'm like, huh. Every room in this house is a different color of, like, fluorescent blue and, like, yellow and pink. And I'm like, some kid was like, Mom, I want my room to look like this. And the parents just gave in. And I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. know, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's At least paint it before best, you sell it. Probably best to just go gray throughout and let somebody else paint over it. A blank slate. Yeah, exactly. Or a slate. A blank slate gray. Exactly. There you go. We figured it all out. I like going through the paint section at the store and just being like, who named this paint color? What color do you like your church, Matt? Uh, I like mine to be stone or brick. Oh, I thought you were going to. I like whatever is in the stained glass bucket when you're making the windows. Uh, yeah, all the colors. Go. I was going to say, prefer to not have, you know, painted. Well, I don't know. I like painted ceilings in churches. Anna Mitchell, it's not about your preference. I'm not into drywall in churches. Well, what about like in the bathrooms? This. Well, okay. I'm not talking about church bathrooms, Matt. Anna Mitchell, it's not about your preferences. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> Today is Monday, June the 26th. Happy Monday, everybody. Good to have you along here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's nine past. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and Dr. Matthew Bunsen is joining us again. He's vice president and editorial director for EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. 
Good morning. Very good to be with you. It is very good to have you. And June 26th is the feast of St. Jose Maria Escriva, the founder of Opus Dei, a survivor of the Spanish Civil War. Start off, can you tell us about his early life? I mean, it was definitely marked with a lot of suffering, wasn't it? Uh, it was. Uh, he was uh, the second of six children, I think, uh, born in uh, the area around uh, Babastro uh, in Aragon, Spain. And uh, his father was in the textile industry as a merchant. And of course, that went bankrupt, and the family was forced to move. And as a young man, uh, young Jose Maria uh, had to hold a variety of different jobs, including as a clerk. And then, of course, there were family tragedies. And throughout it all, uh, he had what was generally described as a very joy-filled uh, disposition. But that, that added suffering, that the School of the Cross that John Paul II always talked about, I think added to that uh, wisdom, uh, prudence, an understanding of the importance of suffering, and not to, uh, not to let that destroy you, but rather to conform yourself to the cross. And, and it is said that uh, he discerned a call to a priesthood by seeing footprints of a a monk in the snow. Mm. He realized that this monk had been walking without any shoes, so this barefoot monk, uh, the sign of him, uh, helped Jose Maria uh, discern the call to the priesthood. It's just a beautiful story. Now, why and how did he come to found Opus Dei? Well, that suffering continued, of course. I think his father died in the 1920s, and so he had uh, not just as the, the duties of a priest, but also the, the care of his family. And one of the things that uh, was becoming clear to him was the importance of holiness in our lives, in the world. And it was during a retreat uh, in 1928 uh, that he came to understand how important it was uh, for Catholics, for those in the world, to sanctify themselves in the world. And so in 1928, he established uh, what he termed Opus Dei, uh, the work of God, and the, the title itself was important to him because it meant that the work that he was going to do, the work that we all have to do, shouldn't be ours. It has to be God's, and uh, hence the name. Now, you mentioned Opus Dei had its beginnings in 1928. The Spanish Civil War broke out about eight years later in 1936. Can you give us an indication of just how dangerous it was to be a Catholic priest in Spain in those few years? Yeah, we forget, uh, especially uh, with the sort of the glorification of some aspects of the, the Civil War in Spain because of the writings of people like Hemingway, that uh, the Republicans, the uh, those who were part in the fighting, uh, that the, the priests themselves were being targeted, Catholics were being targeted. Uh, Francisco Franco uh, and his cause uh, tried to end the war uh, through a bloodbath, and I'm not blaming Franco, it was a terrible period for Spain. And priests themselves, by the thousands, were being assassinated, were being tortured. And so for Jose Maria, I think this was a pretty significant experience in his life, because it confirmed once again the importance of remaining in the faith, uh, but also of uh, supporting Catholics in times of deep struggle. So he was able to uh, survive the war when so many didn't, uh, and after the war to go back to his studies. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that in just a second, but how did Father Jose Maria minister during the Spanish Civil War? 
uh, very carefully. Well, part of it helped that uh, he was able to flee from Madrid uh, and go to parts of France and then also to Burgos, which was uh, in the possession of the forces of Francisco Franco. Uh, so he was able to uh, escape at least some of the the worst of the Spanish Civil War, but we have to remember that his life was always in danger. What did he do after the war? Well, after the war, uh, he went back and completed a, a, a doctorate in law. Uh, bear in mind, too, that uh, this is somebody who had multiple doctorates. So he had uh, doctorates in law as well as uh, theology. It's incredible. Now, you know, of course, Dan Brown would have us think of it as this creepy, secretive organization with weird albino monks. But what has been the lasting legacy of St. Jose Maria Escriva through Opus Dei and his writings as well? Well, if you read The Way, which is uh, Jose Maria's uh, greatest and probably most famous work, uh, we read about uh, the fact that we are called universally uh, to holiness. Now, that was a, a, a phrase that uh, we find throughout the history of the Church, and at least it's implied. We see that in the works of uh, St. Francis de Sales, that everyone is called to holiness. What Jose Maria was able to do with Opus Dei was to stress the importance of, of work, of competence in our work, but then to sanctify it, to find God in daily life. One of his great ways of putting it was to sanctify your work, sanctify yourself in your work, and sanctify others through your work. And so the members, as it expanded around the world, helps people to understand, as the Second Vatican Council taught, there is this call, this universal call for all of us to be holy, but we can do so in whatever our state of life, that we find God in daily life. And to then take that into the world and to live it fully, uh, to give ourselves completely to God's will, but not hidden away uh, in a monastery, not that there's anything wrong with that by any means, uh, but to take that into the world and sanctify the world. Do you have a favorite uh, Jose Maria one-liner? <laughs> uh, my, my favorite I always come back to uh, is that simple phrase, to sanctify yourself in your work. Mm. I like how he calls the moment that your alarm clock goes off the heroic moment. <laughs> I think that's yeah. appropriate for a morning show myself. I think so. I just lived it myself. So thank you. <laughs> I know it, Dr. Bunsen. We'll have the National Catholic Register linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Bunsen, thank you. Anytime. God bless. You too, Dr. Bunsen. Thanks. All right. It's uh, coming up on 17 past here on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Four, five. 
Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. If you're currently an EWTN media missionary or just interested in becoming one, we've got some great news. EWTN Media Missionaries has a new and improved website. EWTNMissionaries.com, designed with you in mind. Our new site is loaded with great features and it's easy to navigate. There are so many different ways that you can help EWTN. Join us in sharing the eternal word with the world. Visit EWTNMissionaries.com today. 18 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis today has appointed a new coadjutor for the Archdiocese of Hartford. President Biden has spoken with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky about a short-lived rebellion in Russia. And during his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis reflected on the Sunday gospel of Jesus telling his disciples to not be afraid. You want to tell us who the coadjutor is in Hartford? Yeah, you'll be excited to hear. Oh, yeah, because I think, uh, you know, those of us who are in the Sacred Heart Radio listening audience might remember him from his time in Indianapolis. Yes, Bishop Christopher Coyne. Right, yeah. One of the first bishops to ever get on Twitter, if I recall correctly. Well, Bishop Coyne, congratulations. Congratulations, yeah. Let us know how it goes. Hadn't talked to him in a very, very long time. Indeed. Uh, So, it is the Feast of St. Jose Maria Escrivá, and uh, promised I'd share some more quotes. Here's one for you. You are ready to give your life for your honor. Be ready to give up your honor for your soul. Ooh. <laughs> wow. How much do we care about human respect uh, to the point that we're willing to compromise for the sake of human respect? Let's see. Uh, what else we got? Uh, oh, this is a fun one to all the, the men who apologize for masculine behavior by not apologizing and saying, ah, it's just guy stuff. He says, don't say that's the way I'm made. It's my character. It's your lack of character. Be a man. St. Jose Maria Escriba. There's a lot. A lot of stuff along those lines. Um, how about this, Anna Mitchell? Don't fly like a barnyard hen when you could soar like an eagle. Um, barnyard yeah, hen says, I know this. from Chicken Run. Don't fly very well. And for iced tea, if you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack. Please join with me now in this prayer for priests. God, our Father, you entrust your priests with the care of your people. Through their teaching, leading, and sanctifying, they gather your church into one body and strengthen her in her evangelical mission. Bless our priests and bishops, especially those for whom we now pray. Give them the grace to be effective witnesses of your mercy, love, and truth. Bless those priests who suffer from sickness and disease, both in mind and body. Bless our dying priests. May they offer their sufferings for the good of all your people and find healing and consolation in this life, if it be your holy will. Bless those priests who have failed and suffer hardship. Send them your spirit of forgiveness and help them to turn again to you. Lord, deepen our love for our priests. Lord, inspire many young men to answer your call to the priesthood. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us here on a Monday morning, the Feast of St. Jose Maria Escriba for us. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Brendan Hodge. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog. He's author of If You Can Get It, a novel from Ignatius Press, and is a contributing editor to The Pillar. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. It's good to have you back. And we are wrapping up our conversations looking at the Public Religion Research Institute's survey on the Politics of Gender and Public Education, and today we are going to look at the education part specifically. Break down for us first the results of um, what people think about teaching about same-sex and opposite-sex relationships in public schools. So the question which the survey asked was, um, do you think it is ever appropriate to teach or discuss uh, romantic relationships in public schools, and then it asked about opposite-sex romantic relationships and same-sex romantic relationships. And what it found was that the majority of Americans did not oppose mentioning um, these relationships. Um, for Americans as a whole, um, 24% opposed discussing opposite-sex romantic relationships, and 34% opposed discussing same-sex romantic relationships. The numbers were lower for Democrats, where those numbers were in the teens, and they were highest for Republicans, where 37% of Republicans did not want opposite-sex relationships discussed, and 55% did not want same-sex relationships discussed. How did it break down with religion? So Catholics were actually kind of exactly the same as the average American, with um, 22% of Catholics opposing the discussion of any romantic relationships and 33% opposing the discussion of opposite sex, of same-sex relationships. I'm kind of intrigued by this. I would have thought that those numbers would be higher, or am I just kind of naive? 
So I think that maybe what we're seeing here is that people did not oppose just discussing um, the fact that these relationships exist, but that as you get into more of the details, uh, people began to oppose some of the things that could be discussed. I mean, you see a sort of similar thing. They had a question about teaching uh, comprehensive sex education, and what you saw was that the vast majority of Americans were okay with sex education in high school and even middle school, but almost no one was okay with discussing these topics with kinder- people in kindergarten and elementary school. Yeah, yeah, I would hope not. Okay, so then how did Catholics compare to other religions when it comes to whether gender identity should be taught in public schools? So... Um, In terms of gender identity, uh, what we see is that um, um, about half of Americans believe that there's harmful information about gender and sexual orientation that's being presented in public schools. And that number for Republicans is 80 percent. Even among Democrats, it's 25 percent. And it is uh, pretty pervasive across generations. Even the very youngest Americans, people who are in their teens and 20s, 40% of them say that there's harmful information about gender and sexual identity that's being presented in public schools. Mm -hmm. I love the question in here, Brendan, about whether we're talking too much about all of this. Are we? So I I thought that was a great question, too. One of their wrap-up questions was, um, are we spending too much talking about people's gender and their pronouns? Um, And... um, Overall, 62% of Americans said that pronouns and gender are being discussed too much in the wider culture. For Catholics, it's 71%. Hmm. Um, and is elevated for pretty much all uh, religions. The only group where it's less than half percent say that are people who are religiously unaffiliated. I mean, this is, this is fatigue, I think, um, coming out. But um, what do they think about whether all of this um, conversation around gender ideology specifically is that and and this is a conversation that that comes up a lot in in Catholic circles, particularly you know people who who talk about this kind of stuff for a living, um, wondering whether children feel more pressured to think about gender ideology and whether or not they need to be choosing a gender, so to speak. Um, What do people think about that? Do they believe that children feel more pressured about all of this? There are a lot of people who are concerned about that. So overall, 43 percent Americans say young people are being peer pressured into being transgender. And uh, that's 47 percent of Catholics. And I think, interestingly, if you look across the generations, On a lot of these questions, what you see is that uh, younger people don't aren't as concerned about these issues. But what we see here is that people in their teens and 20s, 36 percent of them say that young people are being pressured into being transgender and uh, 38 percent of millennials. And so it's almost as high as the average American. People who have recently been in high school and college do seem pretty concerned that uh, young people are being pressured into thinking about these issues too much. And if you want to read more from this survey, it's from the Public Religion Research Institute, P-R-R-I 
www.thepartyshow.org is where you can go and um, find out more about it. It's called The Politics of Gender, Pronouns, and Public Education. And we've been talking about it with Brendan Hodge, who does a lot of the data crunching for The Pillar, which is online at pillarcatholic.com. Brendan, really appreciate you taking these couple of weeks to look at this with us. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Always happy to have you. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Pope Francis today has appointed a coadjutor archbishop for the Archdiocese of Hartford, Connecticut. The Holy Father has chosen Burlington, Vermont, Bishop Christopher Coyne to head to Hartford, where he will learn the ropes and then automatically take over as the Archbishop of Hartford once the Pope accepts the resignation of the current Archbishop, Leonard Blair. Archbishop Blair reaches the retirement age of 75 next April. President Biden has spoken with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about the attempted insurrection in Russia over the weekend. Trey Thomas reports. The White House said Sunday that the leaders affirmed their unwavering support for Ukraine against Russian aggression. This comes after a short-lived rebellion by the Wagner Group, a private Russian military organization led by Yevgeny Prigozhin. The Kremlin reportedly reached an agreement with Wagner to drop the charges against Prigozhin in exchange for the group ending its insurrection. I'm Trey Thomas. The penalty phase in the Pittsburgh's synagogue shooter trial is set to begin today. Earlier this month, a jury found Robert Bowers guilty on all counts in the 2018 mass shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue, which killed 11 people. In the first part of the sentencing phase, the jury will consider aggravating circumstances to determine whether Bowers is eligible for the death penalty, which includes the atrocity of the crime and the number of victims among considerations. Legal experts say it's a near certainty that the jury will find him to be eligible, after which then the jury will decide whether he should be sentenced to death. Stay faithful to what counts. That was the message from Pope Francis during his Angelus address yesterday. He added that according to Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells his disciples three times, do not be afraid. He told the crowd in St. Peter's Square, that Jesus said the only thing to be fearful of is throwing one's life away. Also, during his Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father offered prayers for the victims of a prison riot in Honduras. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells has more. La Vergine di Sujapa, Madre del Honduras, aiuti i cuori ad aprirsi alla reconciliazione e a fare spazio a una convivenza fraterna. Pope Francis invoked Our Lady of Suyapa, the patroness of Honduras, praying that she might help hearts to open themselves to reconciliation and to make room for fraternal coexistence, even within prisons. The Pope made the prayer as he expressed his sorrow over a deadly prison attack that left more than 40 women dead in a female correctional facility in Tamara in Honduras on June 20th. A preliminary investigation into the riot found severe security breakdowns that allowed gang members in the prison to attack their rivals with guns and machetes and even burn some of them alive in their cells. Mi ha molto addolorato quanto è accaduto alcuni giorni fa 
nel centro penitenziario femminile di Tamara. I was very saddened by what happened a few days ago in the Tamara Women's Penitentiary Center in Honduras, the Pope said, deploring the terrible violence between rival gangs that sowed death and suffering. He also offered his prayers for those who died and for their families. Prego per le defunte, prego per i familiari. I'm Christopher Wells. Pope Francis also offered prayers yesterday for the family of a Vatican schoolgirl, 15-year-old Emanuela Orlandi, who has been missing now for 40 years, one of, one of Italy's most enduring mysteries. The U.S. Coast Guard is launching a formal investigation into the deadly implosion of the Titan submersible, which killed all five people on board. Mark Mayfield has the story. The investigation was announced during a news conference Sunday in Boston. Captain Jason Neubauer is leading the probe, which he said is currently in the evidence collection phase. Neubauer added that the MBI investigation that's being conducted is the highest level of U.S. Coast Guard investigations. I'm Mark Mayfield. And a heat wave is moving into parts of the U.S., the Plains, Mississippi Valley, and the Southeast especially. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, why do we receive the gift of knowledge? We receive the gift of knowledge to enable us to discover the will of God in all things. Through science and through the effective scientific method, man's knowledge has continually been increasing from his birth and especially in this century. And yet there are certain knowledges that we cannot have on our own, the knowledge of God's will. This is something beyond us because God's will is so far above us. It's like looking into the sun. It's something that we cannot do with the unaided eye. Instead, we will grow blind. And so in order to allow us to penetrate into God's holy, divine, and all-illuminating will, we need a special gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Through this gift of knowledge, we are enabled to discover the will of God in all things. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me with the gift of knowledge so that I may discover the will of God and especially His will for my life. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, and it's always great to talk to Father Boniface Hicks, especially when he's got something new out, and the new book out has a title that uh, brings interesting clarity to something that many of you are familiar with. Father Boniface, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Great to be with you. 
Yeah, great to be with you as well. And I just want to say how much I appreciate you taking a little fear out of this particular devotion by the way that you uh, framed the subtitle, because uh, it's referred to uh, in the book, The Fruit of Your Womb, um, The Fruit of Her Womb, as a total consecration to Jesus. Now, normally we call it a total consecration to Jesus through Mary. And if you have Protestant ears, all you hear is, Mary. <laughs> so uh, how does this kind of like refocus on what this consecration is really all about? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it's, uh, I have to give the, uh, the publisher credit for that. They, in fact, they, they switched the name such that I just noticed on the Amazon page, it's, it says to Jesus through Mary. <laughs> but uh, right, the titling, they, yeah, the, the title, so you, titling does, but the cover says just to Jesus. That's yeah, correct. it's pretty wild. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, well, it is a 33-day consecration to Jesus, and, and uh, I use the structure that Louis de Montfort uh, brings forth for us, and of course he, he made, you know, Marian consecration uh, a thing, um, but, but his, the whole structure of it is really, it's 12 days uh, cleansing ourselves of the spirit of the world, and then a week of self-knowledge, a week of knowledge of Mary, but then to conclude in a week of knowledge of Jesus, and and really, uh, my, my focus especially, one of the things I shifted from uh, de Montfort's focus, which tends to be uh, on slavery, and I, I just think you can't talk about slavery in the United States and not be flooded with the, all of the negative connotations, and it's, uh, it's, it's too complicated. But what I propose, and that's why the title is also The Fruit of Her Womb, is the, the radical, you know, what Jesus does, Jesus enters into the womb of Mary. He actually becomes so subject to her that he doesn't receive anything except what she receives. He doesn't go anywhere except where she goes. He completely surrenders himself to her. And so the, the pathway that de Montfort proposes, and, and so that's what I kind of focus the, the, the emphasis of uh, this consecration on, is that being in the womb of Mary, that learning to be in the womb of Mary is what puts us into the closest connection with Jesus. We're like, twins in the womb, you might say. And then it takes all of the surrender, because it's radical, radical to be in the womb of Mary. That's the radical path that Jesus chose. But it's also sweet. To be a baby in the womb of a mother who really loves that baby is surrounded with all of the, the sweetness and care and providential love that, that comes through being in the womb of Mary. So that's kind of the shift of the, uh, the, some of the reflections in, in the context of the consecration. But yeah, just like for what you said. I mean, it's to be united with Jesus, to choose the same path that he chose, and to be close to him and totally surrendered to him in that path. Well, I find for people who are struggling with any kind of Mary stuff, that sometimes what you got to do is say, all right, say that same sentence, but where you just said Mary, say the church, <laughs> right? So right. being formed in the womb of the church, right? Uh, everything that we have comes to us you know, through the church, right? Uh, Christ founded a church, and uh, the church forms us. The church points us to Christ. Uh, you know, the church is really chosen and formed by Christ in this process, and it makes it a little bit easier, and then you can step back and say, oh, all of this stuff that we're saying happened to the church is actually something that happened to an individual person in the history of salvation. That, that's right, yeah, and I, it's actually one of the reflections during the week of knowledge of Mary is talking about that close connection with the church. There's a one of the saints, Blessed Isaac of Stella, who is quoted by Pope Francis in The Joy of the Gospel, 
talks about that very beautifully, saying that Mary and the Church are interchangeable almost without changing the vocabulary. You can just substitute one for the other. Yeah, I mean, we can see the, the baptismal font as the womb of the Church, really. And so that's what we've all entered into in baptism. And that's kind of the, the insight from St. Augustine that, that drives the reflections in the consecration. St. Augustine says we are baptized into the womb of Mary. Again, you could substitute the Church there until we're born into eternal life. Now, I think knowing that Mary and the Church are, are connected helps us in the opposite direction, too. Sometimes when we say the Church, that means the stuffy institutional structure that's governed by old men in Rome. And that's not the Church. The Church really is the face of Mary, the heart of Mary, the womb of Mary. It has all of the tenderness of a mother who forms us into Jesus, the same way that Mary formed Jesus in, in its humanity. Yeah, it's interesting that whenever we refer to the church, uh, you know, the we use the pronoun she, right? Uh, her, this idea of uh, she kind of receives uh, and you know brings growth and bears forth to the world. Uh, the church does. I mean, as as Mary does as well. But I want to get the objection out there that a lot of people probably have that has nothing to do with their Marian hangups or their uh, you know ecclesiology, and that is the fact that they can only get about four days into uh, like any novena they start, and the idea of thirty three days is extremely intimidating to them. <laughs> I wonder if you have any words of thought, uh, thoughts or insights for them. Well, I, I do, uh, in this consecration also, say 10 minutes a day. Can we spare 10 minutes a day for 33 days? Is there a way that we can just work it in right after breakfast, or that we can uh, find a 10 minutes after church, or you know, can we spare 10 minutes a day? I think we do it for a lot of other things, and maybe if we want that kind of transformation and spirituality in our lives, we could find 10 minutes to dedicate to the Lord to spend with him, and uh, it won't be a hard 10 minutes, just uh, 10 minutes of prayer. It becomes a little bit of a retreat. So, Well, I spent 10 minutes this morning already looking at the worst possible opinions imaginable on Twitter. I wish I'd had that back and traded it in for this. So, okay. Amen. Well, Father Boniface Six, we've got your book. It's called The Fruit of Her Womb, 30-Day Preparation for Total Consecration to Jesus. And I hope people can check it out. And summer's a great time to do this sort of thing. Or really, you can also do it leading up to any kind of Marian feast day is a, is a great idea as well. Father Boniface, thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too, Matt. All right. Coming up next, Stephanie Mann has more thoughts on the English martyrs, including one who we focus quite a bit on in the month of June, St. John Fisher. So stay with us, plus headlines and Anna Mitchell. It's 16 till. Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption. Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. 
Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Divine Intimacy Radio. When you engage with the wisdom of saints this way, it stokes the fires of God in our hearts, encourages us, strengthens us, and gives us wisdom to deal with the difficulties of life. It also gives us wisdom that allows us to rise above all of the junk, to live with joy and peace in the midst of even the most difficult circumstances. Divine Intimacy Radio, Sunday, 6.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 11 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Johnette Williams. We bring you the truth of the Catholic faith on Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Grab that cup of coffee and let's go back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 14 till, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis today has appointed Burlington Bishop Christopher Coyne as the coadjutor archbishop for the Archdiocese of Hartford. President Biden has spoken with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky about the attempted insurrection in Russia over the weekend. And during his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis reflected on the Sunday Gospel saying, stay faithful to what counts. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Stephanie Mann. She is the author of Supremacy and Survival, how Catholics endured the the English Reformation. She's also got a blog of the same name. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So I know that uh, when it comes to picking good Bible verses for like a retreat or, you know, sometimes schools pick a theme verse for the year uh, or, you know, you know, certain athletes, you know, have a verse that they write on everything whenever they sign autographs. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around what St. John Fisher was thinking when he knew he was about to be executed and trying to find the perfect verse to think about leading up to that. My goodness. Yes. And and, and also remember that, you know, he knew the Bible. You know, he, he was he was relying on God at that moment to provide him, as he says, with the verse that would be of comfort to him at that moment. He says, as he's on his way to execution, he's so weak after being imprisoned in, in the Tower of London for more than a year that he has to be carried in a chair. And I mean, he's not in a wheelchair. He's being carried in a in a chair, so very awkwardly brought to his side of execution. And he stands up, leans against a wall, again, because he's so weak and frail, and says, Oh, Lord, this is the last time that ever I shall open this book, meaning the book of the New Testament that he has. Let some comfortable place now chance unto me. And he opens the book, the Bible, to John 17, verses 3 and 4. This is everlasting life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And then he closes the book and says, Here is even enough learning for me for my life's end. For the few moments I have left, this is what I needed to hear. And this is what I need to know is that there's 
only one thing to for me to hold on to, and that is Jesus and hmm. the hope of everlasting life. Well, that's John chapter 17. It is stunning, isn't it? Just that. Yeah, John chapter 18, yes. Jesus is arrested, right? So this is the, the prayer, yes. part of the long uh, prayer that Jesus prays the night before his crucifixion, and for John Fisher to pray from those that that very text, you know, as he is heading to his own execution. What a powerful thought. Uh, you know, and as I'm thinking about this, I think about this almost every time you bring up a martyr, but if the uh, yes. public executions are meant to be a form of entertainment or a deterrent, you know, against going against the government, I mean, what must the crowds be thinking when True. they see John Fisher, you know, who can barely stand, uh, you know, leaning on the consolation of Christ? I mean, surely people are like, this isn't fun anymore. Right. Well, it, it, according to the records we have, they were shocked when he when he finally reached the scaffold out on Tower Hill outside the Tower of London. They were shocked at his appearance when he removed his uh, gown and 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 basically prepared himself to, to for beheading. That he was so emaciated that he he looked so frail. In fact, the people in the uh, like you say the crowd there to witness maybe some of them were there because of curiosity maybe some were there because they knew he was a holy man and they wanted to see a holy man what he would do and they said why is the king even killing this man he's already dying it's so clear and yet you put him through this and you know remember that when he was sentenced to death he thought he was going to be sentenced to the the full death of a traitor to be hanged drawn and quartered that horrible torture and i don't think beheading is is perhaps more merciful but it's still a terrifying death and so they really did in this case they did why is this good man being executed and so it did it kind of that's one of the things like we've also said so often is the martyr turned against the administration who were ordering the martyrdoms because it was so clear that this was a holy man. You know, I find it interesting, just the amount of details, you know, so often we don't get all the details in martyrdoms, but here, I mean, just little things like he asked to sleep in that day, (laughs) you know, I mean, what a strange thing to include in the story. Yes. Well, I thought as I read those details, particularly the ones about, you know, he, he, asked to sleep a little bit longer and he dresses warmly you know he prepares himself and even those around him probably thought why are you doing this i think that's part of his he he was resolute and calm i mean he he needed that comfort from the from uh, the word of god but still he was resolute and calm so the fact that you sleep when you've just been told at 5 30 in the morning that you'll be executed later that morning around nine o'clock and say well then let me sleep a couple more hours because i'm i'm very tired and then the, the fact that you do prepare yourself to be seen in public so that you dress warmly and dress as well as you can also shows that that he was calm and resolute i mean this was i mean he's almost treating this as though this is just a normal day uh, let me let me get another couple hours of sleep and let me prepare myself for, for uh, this execution in a way that's not, uh, you know, that's not uh, like I'm I'm frightened or I'm afraid or I'm tense. He is calm and resolute, and so I think that also shows his again the holiness. Martyrs, uh, we I think we've said this too. Sometimes martyrs have to be holy to be martyrs. You have to be prepared to give up your life in other ways so that you can give up your life ultimately 
like this. And so that that calmness is what I think those uh, details indicate is he's ready. Yeah, in Father Bowden's account of the martyrdom of St. John Fisher, he also recalls kind of a, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do sort of moment in the process here as well with the executioner. Yes, because he, he says, you know, that was a also kind of a common thing for these executions. He thanks the executioner. He forgives him. Uh, usually you uh, pay the executioner some kind of small token of uh, uh, because you want him to aim well and cut off your head in one, fl- one blow. But yes, there's that aspect too, that he is, uh, again, he's, of course, that's, acting as in the persona of Christ, which he was as a priest and, and bishop, but also just the fact that he could have that kind of, of forgiveness and calmness in the midst of this horrible scene of being beheaded nearly naked. And then the fact that his body is left on the scaffold, but his, fa- his head, which looks like a death's head before his execution, is then placed on a pike over London Bridge and Father Bowden includes this detail that they had to remove his head because it became so lifelike in a way that it was stopping traffic. And and again, so it's just showing it's going against what the what the administration, what the Henry VIII was trying to show is this is a warning to you of what this means to oppose me. In a way, it also shows this is a sign to you that opposing me is not the end. There's a a, a a reward for this martyrdom that you can't comprehend and that Henry can't comprehend. So yes, these are great details because Father Bowden, uh, from the date of the anniversary of of, uh, Fisher's death from June 22nd, he dedicates the next five days, all four four days in total, six days, five days in total to these details because we do have so many from his death and on June 22nd and 1535. Well, the idea of it backfiring and all the things that were meant to humiliate John Fisher, uh, you know, eventually kind of pointing to his glorification, right? His identification, identification yes. with Christ. It just reminds me of the great line, <laughs> you know, that we hear in one of the Eucharistic prayers from Mass, uh, where it says that, uh, you know, you even fashioned for us a remedy out of mortality itself, that the cause of our downfall might become the means of our salvation, right? That's what happened at the cross, right? You've got Jesus yes. attempting to humiliate him, crucify him, destroy him, and yet that's the cause of our redemption. They did the same thing to John Fisher. They did it to every martyr that's ever you know, been martyred. And the cause of their downfall, quote-unquote, is the means of their salvation and glorification. Such has it ever been with Christianity. Yes, and, and they triumph over the, the regime and, and the, the cause that led them to their death because of their martyrdom. So, St. John Fisher, pray for us. Pray for us. Stephanie Mann, we've got Supremacy and Survival linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day, and we hope that you have a wonderful day wherever you happen to be listening across the network. We'll talk to you again tomorrow on a Tuesday. I'm Matt Swain. For all of us here, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.